for your consideration. Max presenting the HBO original, Succession. As power struggles ensue, the Roy family weighs up a future where their cultural and political weight is severely curtailed. Don't miss the series IndieWire calls the end-all, be-all of TV. Nominated for five SAG awards, including Outstanding Performance by an Ensemble in a Drama Series, Succession is streaming now on Max. From Variety, celebrating more than 118 years covering the business of entertainment, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. While Killers of the Flower Moon invokes the horror inflicted on the indigenous population here in the United States, Lily Gladstone notes that it's also important to find the moments of joy that has come from the success of her film. I think a lot of people who understand what it is to survive as a, as a society, as a culture, as a people, you continue forward by remembering what you've been through, what your people have been through, but you do it in a celebratory, uplifting way. It's like the only way you can kind of keep doing it. I'm Michael Schneider, and on this episode of the award-winning Variety Award Circuit Podcast, we talk to Killers of the Flower Moon star Lily Gladstone about her Oscar nomination. Also on this episode, Poor Things screenwriter Tony McNamara. And the Roundtable talks about the Oscar nominees luncheon, the DJ Awards, and what's next on the road to the Oscars. It's all next on this edition of the Variety Award Circuit Podcast. Stay close. Hi, everyone. It is Variety TV editor Michael Schneider, and it's still Oscar season. Damn, God damn it, Clayton. I no, thought you would fix this by now. Listen, I dare you to get mad. It's still TCA. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's longer than Oscar season. So don't ever give me crap about that. Aren't we having Emmy Awards next week? I think so. Stop. Stop. I've just done an interview for TV. I'm like, oh. My Oscars know how to give uh, one award show per calendar. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So you talk to your people. Yeah, straighten out those TV people, Uh, Michael. I think more. Uh, That is Janelle (laughs) Riley and Jazz Tanke joining us as well uh, with Clayton Davis and myself. And yeah, it is continuing to be the longest Oscar phase two in modern history. Um, <laughs> we're literally almost still a month out until the ceremony. Like I I'm going to go, I feel like I'm going to go on. I actually, no joke. I have three more trips planned between <laughs> now and when the Oscars happen. I just have been on two. I'm at TCA. Uh, TCA happened between nominations. And, and now I went to Atlanta. I went to new Orleans. I'm going to San Francisco. I'm going to Stop. Austin uh and one other place i think but it's almost like you don't care about movies mm. <laughs> <True>. <laughs> I, I went to santa movies. barbara i saw a movie what which oh. one did you watch you know. what did you watch past it's gonna be terrible i saw past lives <gasps> and oh. i teared up oh. in my seat i watched it on the plane just teared up. Why were you not full on sobbing? Oh, should I have like bawled and embarrassed yes. myself and yes. on the plane? Yes. I probably if should. I do, I do that at freaking Galaxy Quest if I'm watching <laughs> it on a plane. You can do it at Past Lives. The ending uh, is, is d- destroys you. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, actually, very controversial. Jessica Davis doesn't like Past Lives. Oh, interesting. And when oh. She, I mean, we're going to divorce. It's all over. I was going to yeah. say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She learned it by listening to this podcast. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, because actually, I, I, I talked to Celine Song about it uh, during our podcast interview with her. Um, because uh, for Jessica, it was hard to relate to Greta Lee's character. She's like, she's like, I think she's mean. I would never do that to oh, you. And I was like, oh. 
She's I not can, mean. I, and does, she, exactly. What, what does, does she do? What does she do to the guy? She brings her ex-boyfriend around her new husband. That's what it is. Would she? Would she? Would he rather that she goes off and sees him without? I think she'd rather her not see him at all. Well, that's yeah. This is married life. You, you, need, you, <laughs> yeah. need, you need some some couples counseling I'm, I'm, on oh, that I'm sorry. One. Let, me, let me preface this. I'm married to a Puerto Rican Cuban. I don't know if anyone <laughs> knows that yet. And let me preface this by saying I am perpetually single and have no business giving anyone else advice. So, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. what do you think? I, I'm curious now what we think happens after that final scene where she breaks down in her, spoiler alert, breaks down in her husband's arms because of, you know, sort of that, what could have been that other life. Uh, I, I, think she, I, yeah. I think that's her closure. I think she moves yes. on. Yes. I think it's actually very beautiful. I think yeah. it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's sad in the way that it's sad, but I think that like, you know, she chooses her husband and, yeah. you know, and, and he wasn't, he himself wasn't sure if she wanted to choose him, Yeah, you know, so he gets his answer and she gets her answers. And, you know, these two friends get to like see each other and, and realize like what a gift it is they gave to each other. I did, I did a whole uh, cover story with Celine Song and Greta Lee about like, really the ending is ultimately hopeful and optimistic. Yeah. It's a beautiful ending. It, it is. is. It is. It's a catharsis cry, but it's also like, no, you know, it's I, I'm 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 sad for what was lost, but also things work out. Well, I, th- I, I, th- I, I think, yeah, well, I also think it really uh, highlights like, wouldn't we all just love some closure on some yes. past things? Like, yes. it, People it's, don't it's, get it's, that. It's the, it's the yearn yeah. for closure. Like, you yeah. know, you're not saying you're missed the person. You just want like that one last like discussion of be like, all right, it's over. We're good. And then you move on. So. It's it's a gift that they give each other. It is. It really it is. is. Yeah. That's yeah. exactly it what Celine is. said. She said I... it was a gift. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I might oh, be quoting I... her from my interview. Yeah, with yeah. Her. <laughs> I, think she, I think we both are. <laughs> but I think what's so beautiful about the film is that it could have gone the other way, where she does cheat on him, and we have another. You know, we've seen this a million times before, and instead, you just have this beautiful story of a road mm-hmm. that yeah. leads to closure and answers yeah. nobody and in it is is bad or makes the bad stupid decision oh, yes. I, that's my so like i say as if this is celine song i said it is six sense level twist that john magaro is not the bad guy no he's but, lovely like, yes. like the, he's the most like heartfelt character i still will never forgive the academy for not nominating that man this year because i my favorite supporting performance of the year, John Magaro. That scene well, in the bed mm-hmm. about you, you, you dream in Korean, and oh gosh, oh, stop. Like, that that's the scene that makes me lose my face. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was bawling in. Yes, but I am still very upset that Greta Lee wasn't nominated. Uh, that too, yes. We're yeah, all both, upset. Both, all, all of them. NTU. All three of them NTU. are fantastic. Yeah, yeah, he really is. Look at Mike inspiring yeah. discussion about passionate film. discussion. Yes, welcome That's to it. film chat. I wa- oh, so let me give something to Mike. I watched the first six episodes of Love Is Blind, the new season. <laughs> yes, same thing. Did yes, you cry same. at the end? Did you sure ball? Did. Sure did. That show, man, is just getting better and better as it goes. Man, it's just it's so delightful. Is love, love blind? Uh, is love blind? Love love is not blind. Love has eyes. <laughs> if we're talking TV, I need to ask Michael if you have seen 
the season finale of True Detective Night Country that airs this Sunday. No, I have not yet. <gasps> oh, not. So I did a Nyad Q&A uh, last week and we got to the end and I was like, oh, I'm so sorry we're out of time because Jody was going to tell us how True Detective ends. And mm-hmm. I thought that audience was going to slaughter me. But I was like, I was like, but but I have seen it and it's so good. <laughs> good for yeah. No, no. I because of all this travel, I fell a couple weeks behind, so I need to catch up on my true true detective. So I mean, you you went to the end of May, right? Right after Can. <laughs> oh, I live here now. I live here in Pasadena. <laughs> at the Isn't hotel, it in Pasadena? Right. Yeah, it's it's at the Langham. This is my new. I uh, I'm, I'm living in this phone booth that I'm not a bad setup. Yeah. I've only been to Pasadena once uh, since I lived here. I need to go visit. Oh, it's wonderful. You should go visit the, uh, what's the Arboretum there called? The Huntington. The Huntington, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Get some or, tea. There's so many go good see, things there. go see some plays at the uh, Pasadena Playhouse. You can see plays yeah. in Los Angeles as well. I, oh, my I can, God. I can, I can. I've been once to the Rose Bowl, and then it took me three hours to get out, but I did go and watch Real Madrid and AC Milan play, I've so. never been to the Rose Bowl. Mm. Never it's been. It's hell. I've never Getting been out. It's three hours and it's hell, and you're like, the that's, football game was ninety minutes. That's true of the, any stadium slash. I mean, trying to get out of SoFi these days. Like, Never been to SoFi. Oh, I yeah. really don't like crowds, and it's crazy. I'm going to the opening night of the Wiz tonight because my good friend Amber Ruffin wrote the book. Um, and there is a big Same part drop. of me that's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say Cl- Clayton and Jazz have met Amber. Um, every that's everyone cool. here knows Amber. Um, and, uh, it, it, it is a testament to how much I love her that I'm going out on Valentine's day to opening night of a theater show at the Pantages. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know and what I've heard? Nobody beats the whiz. Nice. Nice. I don't know what that's a reference to. I, I think that was so, Mike. I, I'm so glad you brought that. I thought I was learning as I got older. I thought it was just an East Coast thing. I didn't think people knew nobody beats the Wiz. I didn't know it was across no. the country because no one over here knows that reference. No, I, th- what I, is th- it? I think you're right. I hey, think Brick, don't know. I think it is I mostly a New York electronic store. It's yeah. just so. Do you know Sam Goody? Uh, yes, you know? yes, yes. like the Sam Goody of its times. There's something called the Wiz, and they had a commercial. Nobody beats the Wiz, and then we found out that Best Buy beat the Wiz, and a lot of other stores. And, they went out, the and then they went out of business. Out of business. As a result. But they they were, that was like my hangout place, man. You buy CDs. I bought my first Bone Thugs and Harmony. The first album I ever bought was from Nobody mm-hmm. Beats the Wiz. Uh, first of the month, Where, yeah, yeah, it was great. Yeah. Wow, I had no idea. I was yeah. trying to remember at uh, some. Q and A probably for a British movie the other night. The name of uh, Jazz, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Is it Nando's, the Indian Nando's, restaurant that yeah. that everyone no, it's loves? Portuguese. Oh, it's Portuguese. Portuguese. Oh boy, I was off. Yeah, I was like, Beyonce you know, what's that place? Really, I was like, what's that place? That's like it's sort of like fast food, but everyone loves it in London. This Maybe. got too international yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> McDonald's. It's called yeah. McDonald's. <laughs> McDonald's. <laughs> um, so what's happening this week? BAFTA. The Boftas. Oh, oh, more jazz. Yeah, there you more, go. More it's international. Gonna rain. It's going to rain on Sunday. Shocker. Shocker. Boftas <laughs> on brand. Uh, before we do that, Clayton, you were at the Academy Awards luncheon. I was. Um, usually there's a report about who got the most applause. My God. I, I'm going to. There's got to be an invention, right? There, there's got to be something that can like judge applause meters kind of thing. Yeah. Or, or the thing yes, that it's was you. on. Yeah, me. Yeah. Um, I think I think we're all in agreement. The loudest round of applause was Greta Gerwig, wow. but wow. but but like 
who also got rapturous applauses, Paul Giamatti, Lily Gladstone, Carrie Mulligan, which I was oh, like, oh yeah, uh, and Robert Downey Jr. However, this little footnote, he was the last one that was called, so that's kind of like, and he made a big production of getting up there. So typically, that like just kind of helps the applause, but mm-hmm. he did get a huge round of applause. I mean, he why was he the last one called? He was just they. I don't. I can't tell you what what their order like metrics are um everyone says a separate tables and then they call everyone up one by one that is there they don't if you're not there you don't get your name called uh the only three acting nominees that didn't go were jodie foster because she was telling people about the last episode of true detective uh robert de niro and danielle brooks because she's shooting (gasps) in new zealand i know can you imagine Wait your That's whole life for this. Man, you can't go to the Oscar nominee luncheon. Yeah, it's good to work though. She, she'll still to go to the Oscars. I take it. I would assume yeah. I would. That would be terrible if she couldn't go. Oh. Someone better let her out of that production. Yeah, yeah. What's she it, shooting? Do you know? I, 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 I'm supposed to know. Like, I think it's out there, but she's in New Zealand because she was there Oscar nomination day too. That was her video. Oh, her, oh. her there. I, I tell you what, it. I love about that Oscar luncheon is the class photo. I always love looking at it. This year, so many people, though, had their eyes closed. They did. I felt so uh, bad for that. And then I actually, I saw Maddie Lepatique that night uh, for something with Maestro. And he, he was the one person in the photo. He's doing jazz hands. Mm-hmm. And all of his uh, cohorts were making <laughs> fun of him. They're like, there's always one guy who steals focus. Actually, <laughs> Nick, uh, Nick Bruno, Nimona director, like put up two peace signs or whatever. He was, yeah. he was just choosing violence and it was great uh but it's yeah, not always, the actor stealing focus you'll it notice. wasn't yeah they always they always say don't blink and they take three shots but they end up taking like 12 i, oh, I i'm sure something to and i'm sure there there isn't one that's perfect for everyone they uh, have yeah. To, yeah yeah but it, it was uh interesting that uh sammy birch god bless her heart writer of uh may december is like said like right in the center of like martin scorsese Lily Gladstone, Robert Downey Jr. And she's just like, what am I doing here? <laughs> like, like <laughs> it does give you that serious bit of uh, imposter syndrome. But the best part, sorry, this is what we should have started with. Anatomy of a Fall, the dog was there. I did a press mm. conference with the dog today. Janelle? Yes. I knew they did this for you. I, there, there was no <laughs> other reason. Like, I, I, if anyone saw the the now video that went viral, of, I got a Ryan Gosling, like, not petting the dog but like definitely his heart was like holding his heart for the dog and like just like falling in love with the dog it was it was amazing billy eilish got on the floor with the dog and like laid with it for like a while <laughs> like everyone was just in love with the dog so i interviewed the dog today and asked who they were most starstruck by and they said and and messy actually uh mentioned billy eilish specifically nice that's very yes. cool that, I, I, thought, I, thought, that. I thought he was gonna cheat and say sandra hewler Wait. <laughs> oh, that's right. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Wait, the dog um, talks? I'm I'm confused here. The dog talks? No, <laughs> no, no. It was his talk. trainer. Um, uh, his trainer, Laura. I was going to be so impressed. <laughs> but hack. she said the other the hack. other person that he was very excited to meet was Bradley Cooper. Aww. Actually, 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 Bradley Pooper. <laughs> oh no. Uh, Poopsie, unsubscribe. Poopsie, Poopsie. Poopsie. Uh, Emma Stone. Uh, Mike Schneider, though. The you haven't seen Anatomy of a Fall yet, right? No, I have not. No. So I'm not going to spoil this for you, but there is a part in the movie where the dog acts dead. <gasps> I, I reenacted that scene with him. The dog. Oh, my did it. The dog did it at the luncheon. They She made her made the dog act dead. And the people were like, yeah. oh, my God. No, it's disturbing. Died. It's really disturbing. It's like really. He, I, yeah. You see me in yeah. the video. I look up and I'm like, I don't 
like this. Yeah, and then when not, when she cool. when she calls it off, Messi jumps right back up, and it's like it's wow. so hard though doing a press conference with a dog because I'm trying to listen to the trainer and look at her, but there's this adorable fluffy good boy right at my feet, and yeah. he was looking at me and wants belly rubs and like. I just is so yeah. hard. Wil- Wilbur is going to be so mad yeah. when I get home. <laughs> I was going to say, just, just like Clayton. Yeah. Like doing the panel with Clayton. <laughs> yeah. Always asking for those belly rubs. Yeah. So, so I do. Uh, but no, so the, the nominee luncheon was great. And then uh, a bunch of them are heading off to BAFTA now for the, for the weekend where we will see what the international vote uh, does. And spoiler alert, because uh, by the time this is up, you'll see. Uh, I predict that Oppenheimer will become the most winning film in BAFTA history. Anything more than nine is is the record, and I think Oppenheimer's going to win ten. Wow. I think you're right. At BAFTA. I, right. Now, people are going to thank you for saying that, Janelle, because I think people are going to misread that and then say it's going to win ten Oscars, and I don't think it's winning ten Oscars, but I think it's going to win ten BAFTA. It's going to win 20 Oscars, <laughs> says. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think all, the new ca- all the new categories they've added at the last minute. Like, oh wait, casting! Oh, we we casting. We, we, we have a casting Oscar. Well and done, freaking amazing. amazing! Such an easy layup. Good for you, Academy. Long overdue. Bring stunts next. Bring voice performance. Uh, Choreography. I I wouldn't mind choreography, but we need more musicals. I feel like I'm not saying that we it's just more yeah. musicals choreography, but. I, I stunts I, definitely next. Stunts, stunts are, I think stunts are incoming. Well, this is my my question before was why is there not a creative arts Oscars? You know, we had the creative arts Emmys that get, go, goes into all of the artists in Canada. Because not everybody mm-hmm. wants to be the Emmys, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> no, but honestly, the answer is Mike is that we've done it so long like this that people, when you institute change, people get mad about it. And now, listen. Yeah. They're the Oscar enthusiasts, us minus Mike, right? <laughs> that you can make you can make the show six hours and I'll watch. Like right. I, I want a good show. I don't care how long it is, I just want a good show. So you can put all of them, let them talk as long as they're as long as they want. However, more of America isn't like that, and they want a good, tight, three-hour show. And if they're obsessed with that number, if that is really what we're gonna be forever, then Mike is correct. I think we either need to do a creative arts type thing. And I think maybe you could still do it. The year of Dune, when they brought, moved the eight categories off the ceremony, people would have been okay with it if they would have sh- live streamed it on Hulu exactly. or something. Or yes. Put it up yes. Somewhere. Yeah. Pe- yeah. People, people would have been fine. They wouldn't have cared. They would have been like, I mean, they would have cared, but they, they wouldn't would have, have been, been as mad. Yeah. But they wouldn't have been as mad because they would have been like, you know, people could, my parents can still watch me live as I win and watch my full speech. The Tonys do this every year, and they do it brilliantly. They do this early part of the show, which is Act One, and they cut it yeah. into the real show, and it's seamless. And well, it the Grammys works. does it too. The Grammys have ninety categories. Yeah. yeah. So does a uh, uh, Spirit Awards to some degree. Yeah, like yeah. Like, uh, like everyone does it, but uh, again, Oscars, you have you want it to go first of like of life and stuff like that, and this is now the price you pay. So. Eventually, we need to get to because because the other answer is, and I hate that this could be the answer. The shorts moving to the governor's awards, I think, is an option as well. Because if people don't know what the shorts are, I know what the shorts are because I follow this business and I barely know the shorts. Yeah, people don't watch the shorts. It's so crazy when you're like, wait, have you? 
Have you seen like Nene well, and, and, and Waco, for example? Un yeah. Unfortunately, and listen, it's the birth of a filmmaker. I love what they represent. It's where you see diversity and all that. But right now, they're just the bathroom breaks and whether or not you win your Oscar pool. The, and that's I mean, sad truth, but it's true. I, yeah. I, yeah, no, I, I'm not disagreeing. It hurts me to say that because I love shorts mm -hmm. and I follow them avidly. But I, I totally understand what you're saying. And also, you know, some of the I'm just going to stop. I'm just going to quit while I'm ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the difference between like a three hour show and a three and a half hour show, it makes me laugh that they're so desperate to keep it to three. Yeah, especially since there's always a fight every year about keeping all the musical performances a part of the show. Sometimes they'll do some and not all, and people get mad at that. So if you want all the awards and five musical performances, then we got to think yeah. of something. And I think Mike is the answer here. Mike, Mike do what Mike says. Make I the am always the answer. Always <laughs> you, listen to me. And you can do it earlier that day. You could do it like at two o'clock, right? And then just like run it through an hour, but just live stream it and then cut it into the show. And it works great. I mean, that's where you get extra money too. If if you're the Academy, you, you sell the creative arts Oscars to Netflix or to a streamer. And that way the streamers get their little taste of the Oscars. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I always would want to uh, so Mike when they do when they do creative arts does that is that separate typical deal like money wise like uh, yeah. broadcast rights yeah yeah because the creative arts Emmys are just on FXX every year for whatever reason uh it's a you know not not a lucrative deal but that's separate from the the network wheel deal so in this case like I'd be curious I mean maybe Disney would want to just say well no let's let's do a separate deal and put it on Hulu but either way like you could but the the real Oscars enthusiasts would tune into Hulu to watch yep. the creative arts yep. Oscars. Yeah, because true. you'd still get celebrities showing up. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, maybe it's you know becomes a part of the you know all the nominated folks will still show up to the creative arts, and who knows? But yep. there we go. We solved. We solved. We, we solved Hollywood. Done. Yeah. Mike producing because I gotta go. Oh, enjoy uh, uh, Amber Ruffin's show and yeah. tell, tell her we said hi, but not Mike. No, tell her, <laughs> tell her, tell her nobody beat the whiz at the yeah, very she'll, end. She'll get that. She'll, she'll get it because coaster. she's from New York. There you go. Yeah, yeah. And, right. then, uh, and then pay me residuals for that joke. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, uh, cause a lot of trouble while I'm gone. What are we guys, what are you guys going to talk about? About you. We're going to talk Is about it? Janelle. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Ooh. <laughs> Have fun. Um, Thank and, you. And after BAFTA. Uh, is yeah, what's, what's, af, what's after BAFTA? After BAFTA is uh, thank god I'm going. Yeah, <laughs> oh, we didn't even talk about the anticlimactic DGA awards. DGA, uh, oh god, uh, the longest there, awards, was there longest anything, award show in history. But we did get an upset in TV. Last of Us beat four succession episodes and a very well deserved okay. Last of Us episode one. Now, now that is a classic, like they that's purity choice, out. yeah, yes. I was yeah. very, I was like, I'm pleased with you all. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that honestly is the best direction of television. Uh, yeah. We did have a shocker though at the, to the same night. I wasn't there because I was in Santa Barbara, but we had the um, art director guild awards where Barbie didn't win when yeah. we thought it would. Right. I, I, I've been kind of on, a, on an Island by myself that now everyone wants to come move to this Island now because it's cool over here. I thought that poor things could be Barbie for a while now there because I just thought like it's more up the Academy's alley and that ADG double victory was like, yeah, there it is. That's all I needed to know. So I I'm, I gave this comparison before 
think Barbie is going to, it could end up being like a Star is Born and just win song, but I think Greta could still pull off adapted screenplay. But we'll see. But I think There's a world where, sorry, go ahead. No, I was, I, was, I think Poor Things is going to win production design and costumes. I think it's going to win both. I, I think costume, here's, here's a scenario I thought of though. There's a world where Barbie and Poor Things split and Oppenheimer rises up through the middle. There's also that too. Oppenheimer, I, maybe Oppenheimer does win like 12 Oscars. <laughs> it just maybe wins everything. It just wins <laughs> everything. Just, yeah. Um, and then uh, ADG, so we have BAFTA, we have SAG next week, um, where we will finally say goodbye to succession. Finally. Yeah. <laughs> it's finally over. <laughs> Bye, succession. Thanks for, succession. Thanks for everything. Yeah. It's going to win, I'm pretty sure. I don't know if the actor's going to win, but I think the show's going to win. Um, and then, uh, I think bar, but I do think Barbie's going to win ensemble at SAG. Not that oh. it's not, it's not going to mean anything. Let me tell everyone that now. I don't think it means anything like to the picture race, but I think Barbie's going to win ensemble. Okay. And then, and then hopefully we'll see who emerges on the best actress front. If it's Lily Gladstone or Emma Stone or Michael Schneider Stone. Yeah. Or Annette Benning. Annette Benning Stone. Yeah. <laughs> did you see? I don't know if you saw this video, Mike, of uh, the video I caught of Annette Benny and Mark Ruffalo having a conversation. I know they weren't arguing, but it looked so intense that they were talking. It looked like she was yelling at him. It looked like he was taking it, but obviously they were just having a conversation, having a nice, uh, refreshing talk. It was Kids All Right yeah. reunion, reminding me of that movie again, ah. which you probably have never seen. I have. Have you? Movie. Yeah. Yeah. I love that video. I was like, mm-hmm. "Hmm, what are they? What what are they?" I couldn't. I, my brain was just like not able to oh, come wait, up with Mike, a smart Mike, I have a, Mike. I do have a very important question. This is what we will end on. Shogun premiered yesterday. Yes. Did you go? I did. And I did. was it? And is it as great as we're thinking it's about to be? Yeah, and it looked fantastic on the big screen. Uh, you know, and so that that definitely helped that screening just seeing that like the visually it's going to it's give it all the artisans awards. I mean, mm. this the sound is great. The music is great. The visuals um, it's the, the cast. I yeah. Hear is, yeah there's, is, a, there's two women that are the lead, right? Two leads. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Okay. It's a it's it's a feast, I would say. They they shot that in Vancouver, and I still can't get mm-hmm. over that. They did not shoot that in Japan at all, <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, it's it's gonna win." I, I have a buddy. I have great. a buddy that's so excited for that show, and he says, "You don't understand how depressed I am that it's only a limited series; and it's not a drama series." <laughs> <laughs> Can I? I I was I was meant to go, but I had to moderate Godzilla minus one, and I for the VFX team, I can't. I've never seen anything so crazy in my life than last night, aside from Del Toro. Like, it's the fandom for that movie. Like, Godzilla? Yeah. People, I think it's going to win visual effects. I think it's going to pull it off. I think it's going to do it. I think it's crazy. I, I think it's going to do it. This mm-hmm. little underdog called Godzilla. But with that, Michael, who do we have this week? We have. Lily Gladstone, really Lily Gladstone Stone. Yeah. <laughs> She's here. <laughs> and as is uh Tony McNamara, writer of Poor Things. Ooh. Boom. Australian right. Tony McNamara, not British Tony McNamara. Too many Tony McNamaras. Uh, no, I just don't know accents. Because I definitely thought Jacob Alordi <laughs> was British this whole time, and <laughs> someone corrected me and said, No, he's nope. Australian. 
Uh, I don't think I can really tell the accents very well. It's jazz. She's ruining it. We need an Australian. Yeah, we need to have an. No, Australian we don't. We don't. No, we don't. We don't need an Australian. We're not. We're not taking more. Here. All right. Well, let's go forth and listen go, to this. Go forth and episode, prosper. And we'll Enjoy. see you next week, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. After the break, we talk to Killers of the Flower Moon star Lily Gladstone. From Los Angeles, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. For your consideration, Max presenting The Last of Us, the HBO original series starring Pedro Pascal as Joel, a hardened survivor hired to smuggle Ellie, a 14-year-old girl out of an oppressive quarantine zone. What starts as a small job soon becomes a brutal and heartbreaking journey as they depend on each other for survival. Don't miss the critically acclaimed series Empire Calls, a masterpiece. Nominated for four SAG Awards, including Outstanding Performance by an Ensemble in a Drama Series, The Last of Us is now streaming on Max. And we're back. It's the Variety Award Circuit Podcast, and I'm Michael Schneider. Based on David Grant's 2017 nonfiction book, Killers of the Flower Moon, The Osage Murders and the Birth of the FBI, the Oscar-nominated Killers of the Flower Moon tells the tragic true story of members of the Osage tribe who were murdered under suspicious circumstances during the 1920s. Lily Gladstone's work as Molly Burkhart, an indigenous woman at the center of a sinister plot, has been nominated for Best Actress, making history as the first Native American woman to be nominated in the category. He told me he was, he was going with Matt Williams for a time. You talk too much. Oh, I don't talk too much. Just thinking who I got to beat in this horse race, that's all. I didn't realize this was a race. I don't care for watching horses. Well, I'm a different kind of horse. Hong <laughs> Pashi. What was that? That's how you are. I don't know what she said, but it must have been Indian for handsome devil. (laughs) (laughs) Killers of the Flower Moon itself landed 10 Oscar noms, including Best Picture, Director, Supporting Actor, Production Design, Cinematography, Costume Design, Film Editing, Original Score, and Original Song. Just hours after attending the Oscars nominee luncheon, Gladstone came into the Variety Award Circuit podcast studio on Cloud Nine and spoke to Variety's Clayton Davis about the impact of her Oscar nomination. She also talks about her next film, Fancy Dance, which premiered at Sundance. Also, the push for Super Bowl champions, the Kansas City Chiefs, to finally change their name and so much more. Clayton began by asking Gladstone if the Oscar nomination had finally sunk in. That one, that one really hit when I read the Fancy Dance acquisition um, announcement. Mm. It was like, I mean, I knew, I knew that that was, uh, I had that intel just before Christmas. That was a great Christmas gift. Mm. But getting to see it in print, Academy Award nominee, it's uh, that was, I think, the first time it actually hit mm-hmm. in like a really meaningful way. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's wild. 
It's it's super wild. I mean, I'm just I glanced at my phone for a second and I have a text from maybe Annette Benning. <laughs> I know I know it's Annette. We we just exchanged numbers, but because we're we are talking right after the nominees luncheon, where all the troublemakers of Hollywood come to hang out and right. have their annual meeting. Yep. Um, and I remember hearing your name called, and I think you were. If I remember my video that I'm capturing, you're in the vicinity of like a RDJ. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you were kind of near Marty again. Like mm-hmm. it was just like. Oh, they sat me in between Christopher Nolan and Martin Scorsese. Mm. You know, talk about imposter syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> but also like, cool. I'm, I'm just happy I got to sit next to You should have been like, you two should fight <laughs> like, right now. <laughs> just like start some beef. <laughs> it's like crazy. Now kiss. Now, now we'll just come together. <laughs> um, no, l- listen, I – Molly Burkhart, uh, what you deliver in Killers of Flower Moon, pretty extraordinary. And I said this mm-hmm. very often, so you've heard this before, but people haven't heard this. I knew the band when the band was cool because <laughs> I was there for certain women. Thank it's, you. It's, it's, yes, you were. And I told the world, I shamed them then, and I said, "We're gonna get, <laughs> we're gonna get her back." And you guys are gonna understand what I'm talking about. And now we're here, and now everyone acts like. This is a great band, and it is. <laughs> but I, I listen to the old records too; they're yeah, great. As you were well. there when we were still playing basement shows. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> the Kelly Riker basement. Oh shows. yeah, those would be Kelly Riker is the cinematic equivalent to a basement show. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so, th- looking now at everything that's gone on, and there's still always the looming thing of this is a great moment for you, a great moment in your life career on the backdrop of a true story that is terrible and events that are terrible that we have to educate the world on. Um, how's that been of that balance of just being happy for what's happening, but also <laughs> like what had to happen in order to, for something like this to happen? Yeah. Um, I mean, ever since I got the role, it's always, you know, the, the very first reminder of where this was all grounded is in the Osage nation. And, um, I mean, I was offered the role on Molly Burkhart's birthday, which was by no one's design, but it was just the immediate, like kind of signature on it for mm-hmm. me that, okay, you're playing a real person that lived through all of this real situation. And, um, Honestly, I think people remark at how even keeled I seem through all of this and how well I seem to be doing. And I think it's because it's shared. It's, um, you know, I'm, I'm maybe doing a few more interviews or maybe taking to a few more carpets or events, but like almost every single major one that I go to, there are Osage people there. You know, mm-hmm. Jeffrey Standing Bear was there earlier today. Um, Scott George's nomination. I mean, it's only right that if this film has exalted like so many of, you know, us in the industry, so many of us who do this for a living and who like, you know, got into film to make films. Um, I'm, I'm grateful that if I've got this historic nomination in hand, now I get to share it with an Osage mm-hmm. community, with an Osage man, with his singers that he works with. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, I think all of the elation, it's, uh, yeah, when it's, when it's shared and when it's spread out amongst so many people, it makes it feel a lot more manageable. Yeah. And I think it's, uh, I'm grateful for, I kind of feel like this film in so many ways has had its own agency that it was made when it wanted to be made. Yeah. Um, 
if it had been made any earlier, then we wouldn't have been filming some of these things on the exact 100-year anniversary of when they happened. Um, I remember we were shooting the night that Anna Brown was murdered on the 100-year anniversary. I was watching Kara Jade Myers get into the car with Scott Shepard and drive off and thinking like that was what Molly would have seen exactly 100 years. That was the last time she saw her sister. Um, And then... Just those parting words, you know, that came from Wilson Pipestem, who's a dear friend now. Um, I've been known from the community for years. He's a very successful, renowned lawyer. He's Osage. Um, and he does a lot of work in Indian country at large. So he was one of the first people that I connected with when I got there in a personal way. And uh, he imparted this idea of uh, to have a sister is to have wealth, is to be wealthy. So that last line... And there's who knows how it actually had gone down that evening. Um, you know, the the account that Anna had come over and kind of caused a ruckus and had left with, with Byron. But having that moment to for as Molly to get to say to Anna that you are my wealth, um, just contextualizing that that's what this film is really about, is about these um these families, this um that this this community that really lost everything because they were losing each other. Yeah. So it's it's a counterbalance, you know. Um, back home we talk about this, that it's always important to remember um, what our ancestors went through. And, uh, you know, back on my res, we have a yearly commemoration of the Baker's Massacre. And it was, you know, kind of a a story that a lot of na- a na- lot of nations on the plains had at this time. The Calgary was going out and looking for you know war parties, looking for people that they were you know had targeted, um, and they were out looking for owl chiefs people. But they came upon Heavy Runners Band, which is all men, women, children, elders, or women are pretty much children, women, and elders, and um, not many warriors. And they're like, oh, this is good enough, and they wiped out an entire group of people. So we commemorate that. Um, yearly and you know just talking to some some folks back there um, one of my favorite things that I heard that I carry with me is that those spirits out on that land when we go out there and we sing for them and we pray for them you know singing um singing morning songs singing songs that uh you know just you don't want to remind these spirits that they lived through trauma you know it's like you don't want to just keep reminding them if they're still there which you know we believe they are these these um these things really weigh heavy and stay in the land that remembers that marked the passage of time because land marks the passage of time and holds the memory of these things and we really felt that while we were filming killers as well um but yeah, the spirits of the people and the you know really the communities that went through it don't want to constantly live in that trauma. So we go out there and we sing happy songs and we um, we celebrate. You know, we we laugh. It's like those if they're hanging around, they want to hear they want to hear happiness. So I feel like the celebration of just the amount of hard work, the amount of heart that people put into it. Um, really touched by the level of ownership that a lot of the community has over this movie yeah. and is expressed over their contributions and, um, you know, sculpting this film. So I think it's, uh, yeah, it goes hand in hand. And I think a lot of people who understand what it is to survive as a, as a society, as a culture, as a people, you continue forward 
by remembering what you've been through, what your people have been through, but you do it in a celebratory, uplifting way. It's like the only way you can kind of keep doing it. Very well said. Thank you for that. Yeah. Um, looking now to your co-stars, um, Razzy-worthy co-stars, Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert De Niro, <laughs> you know, just guys have really been scraping the bottom of the barrel here. Um, but like, I, I, I've been meaning to ask you something. It's such a silly question, but, uh, cause you and I are roughly about the, about the same age, 21. And, um, <laughs> I, I wonder, I'm wondering, like, as I thought of this actually, like, Right after I saw the movie for the first time, you know, there's a scene that you and Leo uh, are kissing the scene. And I thought, like, Lily was my age when, like, Titanic came out and Leo was Leo at that point. (laughs) And did you ever think to yourself, like, I'm going to kiss Leonardo DiCaprio in a movie, like, in 25 (laughs) years or something? Like, does that, like... Ever, yes. like, like, yeah. <laughs> you know how many uh, my, my my best friend who's who's a female like she uh, proclaimed that she would kiss Leo one day and it didn't happen. <laughs> so I want to know if you had said that when you were thirteen or if it was just like like what what did, did that when did that kick in that you were like oh Leo is here and it's and it's Leo and I can call him Leo and he responds Lily. <laughs> I mean, for a while, he just would call me Molly. Um, (laughs) So we got to a point where we were actually calling each other each other's names. But um, yeah, I mean, it's crazy when I don't know if it ever really sunk in. Mm. I don't know if it had a chance to sunk in before he just became a good friend. Mm -hmm. You know, I think um, I may have been a little overly irreverent of his celebrity at first, maybe because just trying to prove something or keep my walls up and try to not be so distracted by the star power. (laughs) But I mean, it came out anyways, like my hands were shaking the whole time we were doing our first scene together. What was that? Um, That was the first date. That was the um, Molly inviting Ernest in for dinner. That was the first thing he and I shot together, which... um, which, by the way, if you've seen that scene play out now, it's like, it's yeah, like that was perfect. day one, folks. <laughs> and that was, um, I'm so glad that we got a chance to do that because you're like, good, don't touch me, don't like talk to me, let's right. just sit here in silence. Yep, yep, yep. Um, the rain, it gave us the perfect springboard for the rest of it. I think it was a good design that we got that one in the can first. Oh, and for sure, it was the. It's a blessing to get to do that kind of scene work with somebody because, you know, if you just look at the transcription of the scene, it's so much in the beats. It's so much in the, you know, the the pacing. The I love how in some ways that scene feels almost Chekhovian. Mm. Um, it takes a couple of, you know, logical sort of – not logical. It takes a couple of, like, diversions the way conversations do before they come back around. It's yeah. like you've got the light little misunderstandings written in. It's just the texture of that piece, the way it was written, it was such a good one to settle into work with another actor on. And these two are really kind of learning each other in that moment yeah. as well. So I felt like that was that was a pretty brilliant touch. Super to, appropriate. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, um, but yeah, what? no, I, uh, Leo, I'd, I'd been a fan of since, um, I don't remember if I saw this boy's life or Gilbert Grape first, but around the same time. Yeah. And those are the ones that kind of do it for. Yeah. And I just remember his performances in there made me want, it was part of like, as a young girl who, you know, wanted to perform like that kind of, it's like, okay, that's what an actor, like a young actor can do. And, um, 
even though I was eight or so when I saw that, and I think he was 16 when he'd shot it, so he was probably 18 when it came out. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't know the math. It still felt (laughs) like, it felt like people that I'd known. Like my mom taught uh, early childhood special ed. So I spent a lot of time in the classroom with kids with special needs. I'd go in with her and um, I felt like I knew Arnie like so well. And I was kind of amazed that that wasn't just Leo. And then um, this boy's life, I also had a number of friends who had difficult home situations and um, like you have a protectiveness over, over them. Um, and I remember feeling that watching his early work, but also just thinking like, wow, I want to, I want to do that. So it was funny. A very weird thing. This boy's life made me hate mustard. <laughs> For, I swear. I swear. I swear. I, I've always not liked mustard, but I was really like, I'm never going to touch mustard because, you know, yeah. Cause you didn't was... empty the jar. It's like such a killer, like scene. Really? God. Um, Looking uh, within uh, Killers of Flower Moon, and I'm really excited for this moment that that you're having. And and I was actually talking about this with America Ferrera as well. You know, underrepresented communities mm-hmm. like this is yours, but it's all, we have to celebrate each other. Like you're, I, I'm taking your win as my win too. <laughs> like it's this is, this is all of us <laughs> as we should. Um, but then I I always have the follow up, but. What about the next one? Like mm-hmm. this better not be the only time I see Lily Gladstone. <laughs> like you know, I still, and, and this has to go through like history. Hollywood is going through a moment where they're trying to figure out, lack of a better term, what to do with us. Like what to do with Latinos, Blacks, Native Americans, Asians. Like they they thought of us so long in one box, mm-hmm. and. Well, I love Killers. That's not the only thing that Lily Gladstone could do. I want to see mm-hmm. the rom com Lily Gladstone. <laughs> You'll like, get it. You know, we're, got, we got we're Coleman Domingo. I think. I think I, I've said this. <laughs> oh, I think you and Coleman Domingo. Amazing. I think you guys will make a really good movie together. I don't know what it is. I don't know who directs it. I agree. You know, mm. we we made plans earlier. When this all <laughs> settles down, we're gonna have a meal and we're gonna get we're gonna get a chance to like He's, just just get into it. <laughs> um, what kind of roles do you want to play? What do you want to? do in this business right that's always like a good question like i'm a job genie what do you want to do i mean i'm looking forward to i can't i can't explicitly say what it is yet because you know um but i'm looking forward to a a rom-com ensemble comedy that i get to shoot this summer which is good um i'm very much looking forward to getting to dive into uh my favorite screenwriter of all time like i mean this this man's written probably three of my top 10 favorite films doing an adaptation of Yoko Ogawa's novel, The Memory Police, um, adapted by Charlie Kaufman. Mm-hmm. And uh, Reed Morano is directing, and Marty has come on as an executive producer. So getting, I mean, if I could go back in time and just, like, tell my younger self that <laughs> you're going to be in a Charlie Kaufman movie. Yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean... By the way, Reed Morano, another one, knew the band early. I yes. love Meadowland. Meadowland oh is, God. like, such... Such a great, like, photographer, filmmaker. She, she's an she's angel. Dangerous. She's dangerous. an angel. I love working with cinematographers. A lot of times they're the first collaborator you have on set because your director is away from camera a lot of time, um, away in, in village or set up with a monitor and they don't get to you first. And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, actors, one thing that's great about theaters, you get the immediate feedback from your audience, but yeah. on set, your audience has to keep it contained because it's going to ruin a take if they react. So I oftentimes just look to the DP and I think 
DPs and directors are so hand in hand. And I think DPs make fantastic directors. This is, I mean, they are. They're finding the story in a lot of to- a lot of times first. Also explains why Rodrigo's going to direct. He has a movie yes, coming this year. Yes, yes. I mean, like, oh, he's in post for that. He's, I, he's so I, I can't so wait. close. Me too. Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I can't. Reed's, Reed's just an absolute angel, oh. and she's been um, – I didn't realize that I knew her work before she reached out to me with this project. And, um, yeah, she was, it was so touching. She's had it for a couple of years. She's loved, she loved this book. I mean, she said, uh, her producing partner is just like, you know, aim big, have, ask your favorite writer to do it. So she did. And he said, yes. Mm-hmm. And then, um, she held it for a couple of years cause she just couldn't imagine who she would want to collaborate with to play the novelist until she saw killers. Yeah. And same, it's like you just you want to be very protective and um, kind of precious with whatever the film is that you do next after all of this because I think it kind of sets the tone for yeah, all the rest the of your work, up. right? Mm. So it was, um, yeah, it was incredible. It just, I think every creative, when a project really wants to be and when it works, it's like the magnetism of people and yeah. like everybody being on the same page artistically is just magic. And so far, it's been. It's been lovely with Reed. I can't wait to get going on that one. Because uh, you mentioned it now, I'm so curious because I always want to know the origins of cinephiles. What are some of your favorite movies of all time? What are those <laughs> things that like that touched the soul and made you yeah. do it? Um, I mean, one of the very first epics that just pulled me in and I watched over and over again just from childhood is Willow. And I think um, – taught me how it taught me uh, how to spot perspective mm. especially in directors um, it's just so clearly Ron Howard but it's so outside of anything else you've seen Ron Howard do but yeah. you just feel it it's the most you know? un Howard movie that he's probably ever made fully anyway. yeah. and I think that's why it's so great yeah. <laughs> um, you know I, wa- I also watched a lot of films with my parents that maybe I didn't fully embrace or understand when I was a kid. They might have been above my head, but when I revisited them as adults, realized how much they actually shaped the rest of my taste in film. Being There was a big one in my childhood. Mm. Um, Harold Maud, um, Brother from Another Planet, um, Buckaroo Banzai was an absolute favorite. I mean... A lot of my parents liked indies. My parents liked the little cult classic things. Um, I, uh, yeah, I remember just feeling like I'd really discovered something all mine when I first saw Jim Jarmusch's films. Um, it was so exciting to see Gary Farmer in Dead Man. Mm. Like, just he pops up so fully Gary and you know the the small moment that Michelle Thrush has in there as well it's so funny um it's just uh, some of the jams yeah yeah just <laughs> it's a lot it's um just going through the yeah. now I'm just like walking through all of the <laughs> decades of life. filmmakers <laughs> <laughs> well uh, it, looking at um the influences of today and I've, you, I've seen you clap so enthusiastically when every time they mention reservation dogs, yeah. it's like the best show that people aren't watching kind of thing. It's like one of those. Absolutely. Like, I, and it's, and, and you know, God bless FX for like 
I would say for trying like mm-hmm. to, to get out there. Um, cause I think cause they're not, the world isn't used to seeing like, Oh wait, this is just like indigenous teens. Like just like being mm-hmm. there's a, it's not a period piece. It's like, you know, right. Um, were you bummed that like we're only at three seasons of that? Like that was, it was made for I like mean, a- yes and no, but I'm, what I'm really thankful for in that is Sterling and the creative team got to call when it ended. Mm. It wasn't one of those shows that like, all right, we're just going to yank it. You know, yeah, yeah. I, 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 as far as I understand, there was, um, there was great interest in doing more seasons and mm-hmm. continuing it on. I mean, Sterling has got he's, – he's an indie filmmaker in his heart. He loves features. He's ready to get back into film. Yeah. Um, he also – he and all the writers in, in that room were pulling so much from personal experience that that can just be an incredibly exhaustive process. You know, they um, – the whole uh, concept of the show came from – losing a friend to suicide and revisiting that constantly, um, finding ways of, you know, I, I mean, I understand this as a native who is a storyteller and often is telling stories to other, to, to non-natives is you're spending a lot of your time just catching people up on the, on one-on-one stuff. Yeah. And it's a lot to try and pack into, it's a lot for, one person to try to process and carry and speak for, because we can't speak for everything that we want to speak about. Mm. Um, But the show I think is so successful because it strikes that chord that we, you know, I was kind of speaking to earlier and all of these tragedies, you also are laughing and in one show you're cracking into this, you know, this horrendous history of boarding schools, watching yeah. people lose close friends at too young of an age, um, being punished for speaking their language. Um, I thought it was so brilliant to use that as a device, as an origin story for, for you know, an oral tradition, a fixture in Oklahoma and, you know, elsewhere too. Blackfeet have our own version of Dear Lady, um, Wolverine Woman. <laughs> um, but yeah, these, uh, these fixtures in oral tradition that... Uh, are fixtures for a reason, you know, they, um, they carry certain stories, which carry certain lessons in them. And this, this is a woman who avenges people and goes after bad men. Um, so to tie that to this history of boarding schools, it's like, you're getting, it's, it's immense to get those two things into one episode and to draw that parallel as, as a writer, to, um, I mean, I was so blessed with the character I got to play in that show, which also comes from um, Migsy Pensano, the writer of the the first time you see Hokdi in episode uh, nine of season two, and um, he and uh, Dallas Goldtooth, they uh, they're brothers. Dallas was uh, William Knife Man, mm-hmm. <laughs> the comic relief through the whole mm-hmm. show. But Migsy told me that he and Dallas had an, have an uncle who's incarcerated mm-hmm. that is also kind of a healer and kind of a medicine person, yeah. or um, at least a very wise person that really guided both of them, and they would have to go visit him yeah. incarcerated. And, yeah, I mean, I'm glad that that show got to call it when it wanted to. And it's also... There's so many talented natives on that show who are now free to do what they want to do and have had this little elevation and are going on to do incredible things. Like, nobody on the show is going anywhere. Good. I have two more questions, and then I have a fun uh, 
round robin game. Uh, <laughs> that's gonna, I'm sure it's gonna, you're gonna find so much fun. Um, I, w- I wanted to ask you, uh, because we're, uh, Santa Barbara Film Festival was a few mm-hmm. days ago, and uh, I want you, uh, if you offer some clarification, because it got some headlines uh, when you were talking about um, the Super Bowl mm-hmm. and one of the teams playing. I want to know if you wanted to elaborate on some of I mean, some honestly, you could hold both teams accountable to it, because 49ers is based in the gold rush in California, which mm-hmm. was an incredibly brutal period of time for California Indians. So there's that. Um, and then the chiefs, you know, there's a lot of ways, there's a lot of ways that you could wear the, the name chief, you know, there's a lot of different things. It's not the name as much that bothers me. It's, um, hearing that, hearing that damn tomahawk chop just every time it's, um, you know, it's a stark reminder of really what Hollywood has done to us because that tomahawk chop goes directly to like the sound of, Oh, here come the Indians and these old Westerns, these Westerns where we were not playing ourselves or if we were, you know, we were like backdrop actors, like just um, pretty much there to get shot, you know, but just this, uh, this claiming, you know, this claiming of that sound and this saying that it's in honor of, but really... Ignoring the history and pain that goes with it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And the commodification of who we are as people. I mean, in general, if you... There was a study that was done around the time that the Washington team was... um, People were pushing them to change their name. Just a blanket survey of people on the street, I think in Chicago... 40% of people asked didn't think that Native Americans actually existed anymore. They thought we were basically all wiped out or um, people don't, uh, people don't bring us into a modern age. You know, we're kind of, if we don't look and behave the way that we are in those Westerns, then we must not actually be native, you know? And it's like, you see, you see so little representation up to this point in time. And then you just see this fervent fandom around claiming whatever that strange identity is. Mm-hmm. And it just makes me think of William Hale in, mm. in Killers of the Flower Moon. It's like it wasn't enough for him to take Osage people's wealth um, to, you know, be living in Osage lands. He also wanted to appoint himself king of the Osage Hills. He learned the language. He collected the art. It's like he almost completely absorbed the identity he that's like he, he took that too yeah. and i think people need to you know i understand what it is to really care about and feel like you're part of something um but yeah that 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 tomahawk chop it just really does feel like a mockery yeah. you know and it's directly correlated to the way that we see ourselves as native people like uh, our kids have the highest suicide rate of any any demographic in the country, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of that is tied to how the media tells them they are. You know, it's it's um, when you don't see yourself represented, or when you do see yourself represented, it's in such a such a um, either fetishized or distorted or just downright like mocking kind of way. Yeah. Um, can yeah it's it shapes your sense of self and what you're capable of doing in the world and um yeah it's just it's time to retire yeah. like 
in on you know one team looking into the history in California. You know, we're sitting here and I'm looking out the window at these California hills on Tongva yeah. land and thinking about what the California gold rush did to California tribes. You know, it's um it was uh, just last uh, last month, several weeks ago, out with um, Luis Senio band um, at uh, Palm Springs. Yeah. Um, was out with Agua Caliente and. There was a cultural exchange between Agua Caliente and Osage. Osage people came over and were talking about the shared history because that was the story of Palm Springs as well. And um, it's uh, it's really not that deep in our history, and the remnants of it are, you know, very clearly taking up this billions and billions of dollars of ad space (laughs) and um you know i I just was looking yesterday just kind of joking around about all the things that siri answers when you talk to siri Mm -hmm. you know i and like if you ask siri how much wood would a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood she's got brilliant answers Mm -hmm. (laughs) so i was playing that game in the car with our driver yesterday and then um i was curious what were the most asked questions siri gets and um it's diverted me to google what are the most asked questions on Google? And the number five most asked question um, is when is the Super Bowl? So it's an incredible, you know, it's the center of, in a lot of ways, American culture revolves yeah. around the Super Bowl. And then this year, seeing both teams, it's like, uh, damn it. Yeah. It could, be, it could be a really, a really good opportunity to cleanse some of that and just try yeah. to, you know, so I don't know what's like move forward. Like so there's something mm. that I can just like, yeah. And yeah. if you can't move forward, look into the origins of football, yeah. uh, learn who Jim Thorpe is. Yeah. Learn about pop Warner and the Carlisle football team. American football is inextricably shaped yeah. by American Indians at boarding school. Um, I think it's it's great to love the game. It's great to love your players. I mean, I love watching the commercials. Mm-hmm. <laughs> love the halftime show. Yeah. You know, a lot of love to Usher. Um, um, can, but, can we stop on that for a minute? Yeah, absolutely. Because me and my wife are in a full-blown argument right now <laughs> about who gets to marry Alicia Keys next. <laughs> I, I, I realized when, when she came on – I'm not over my ex. She's right there. <laughs> it, we got to an argument about it. She was like, I can date her. I was like, I don't think you can. I can. So we are in a full-blown argument. That Usher, Mike, and I'm going to say to you what I told everyone. I warned the world. Do not buy roller skates. We cannot do what he did. We are going to hurt ourselves. That's for you too, Lily Gladstone. We can <laughs> we cannot buy roller skates. I'm telling myself that. Oh, no, I no, cannot no, no, buy no. roller skates. I okay. will never put my feet in roller skates okay. again. Okay. <laughs> um, last fun question. Who you bring to the Oscars? I think I know this answer, but who you bring in? I'm bringing my mom. As you should. I'm, uh, I'm hoping to bring my dad too. He's definitely got the invite. Um, yeah, and I'm just happy. I'm also going to be there with a bunch of Osage people because of you know, like I said, sharing this historic nomination with another historic nomination. Oh, mom's great. Uh, and then the fun game. Uh, this is a, this is rapid fire. I, I will preface it with understand this may not be your real answer it's just the first answer that comes to your head and it's all around your co-stars and a lot of and the people that made your film <laughs> uh favorite leonardo dicaprio movie oh i, also I mean i don't want to i don't want to <laughs> say killers of the flower moon because that's an obvious yeah. one 
You know, the the one that I did um, for maybe 30 seconds in middle school had a crush on Leo was a Man in the Iron Mask. Really? I know. I mean, it was middle school. <laughs> but I think the duality that he pulled off in that, and I only had a crush on half of them in that movie. Yeah. It was uh, Philip, you know, the sweet one. Sure. Um, and, but yeah, I think like that movie, he... I remember thinking he's kind of bringing both of those aspects, this dual nature of just like this total sweetheart and this total bastard into one character. Interesting. I did not expect that one. (laughs) Other than that, the aviator, I mean, the aviator is incredible. De Niro, favorite De Niro performance. Mm. Oh, that's a good question too. Maybe just because I was just talking about it, but I think this boy's life was incredible. Hmm. I usually I usually go for a raging bull typically, but oh, like yeah, but I, you know you know what he's yeah. very underrated great in is I don't know if, I, if you've ever seen it. Everybody's fine. No, I haven't. Uh, it's one of his like it's 2010, I think. Uh, he plays a widower that goes to travel the country, like tell his kids to come together for like Thanksgiving, mm. and he is heartbreaking in it. It is like mm. incredible. Um, favorite John Lithgow movie, <laughs> Buckaroo Banzai. <laughs> there was like no hesitation there. Brendan Fraser. Oh, Brendan Fraser. I always know, I, what, I, I always know um, what I'm supposed to say, and then I know what I do say. So go ahead. No, <laughs> yeah. Oh, the name of it. The name of it. Um, I was. I mean, it. It was one of the things that I. I reference so much in relation to Killers of the Flower Moon. Quiet American. Ooh, that's a good one. I mean, I think he's really good in that movie. He's amazing in that movie. Yeah, and um, like I mean, the Brendan Fraser I was introduced to as a kid was George of the Jungle, <laughs> and then um, Adam and uh, what was it, the Alicia Silverstone one where they oh, uh, Blast from the Past, Blast from the Past. Did you so, not, were you not brought up on Encino Man? Oh, Did thank that, you. Yes, oh, no, that, Encino that, Man. Yeah. Yeah. That raised me. <laughs> I mean, you, you get to – you meet Brendan Fraser as like this goofy, hunky actor, mm. but then it's like he's a really, really good dramatic actor. Mm. And he actually trained at um, Cornish College in Seattle, and that was where I wanted to go for several oh, yeah. years. Um, I ended up going to University of Montana. But, yeah, he was uh, kind of a local fixture that. because of that. We're all just trying to be like Brendan Fraser. <laughs> uh, favorite Eric Roth script? Oh. There's so many good ones, but I'm just sticking with all the childhood movies, Forrest Gump. And when I talked to him about that, I told that I just told him that he's like, that, really? That was that's my second bit... favorite movie. That's acceptable. It's I such would, a good I, movie. It, 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 I hate that the internet has turned on it all these years later. Why? It is so, uh, it is good, wholesome. Cinematic. It's fantastic. I love it so much. But secret number two is Munich it is mm. underrated. Probably one yeah. of Spielberg's best. And uh, oh God, Eric Bana. And then uh, last big question: Dream role? You have anything you want right now? You can do it if I can green light it for you. What's the role you'd want to play? Whether you mm. feel whether you could sing or not, whatever <laughs> you wanted to do. I still want to be an Ewok. <laughs> still want to be an Ewok, or at least Ewok adjacent. Just uh, give the Ewoks another major movie. Ewoks. You know, I could. 
you know, I don't, except I don't feel like the Ewoks are very hierarchical. So mm. <laughs> do you feel like the Ewoks got a really bad rap? Like they did historically. I mean, like good. look at how good and successful rogue one was just to kind of dispel the haters who were talking about this, like vent yep. and the death star. It's like, okay, here's a whole movie about it. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be the best movie in the canon. So like, if we're gonna See, if we're gonna be talking about that with get like the Ewoks in Star get their Wars, time. man, that's what we need. Mm-hmm. Get get me in there. That's Oscar nominated Killers of the Flower Moon star Lily Gladstone. The film is now streaming on Apple TV Plus. Actors often talk about how freeing it is to play characters that live in the moment, and it's a sentiment that poor things screenwriter Tony McNamara understands. McNamara just earned an Academy Award nomination for Best Adapted Screenplay. He was previously nominated for his original screenplay for 2018's The Favorite. Both films were directed by Yorgos Lathamos and featured Oscar-nominated turns by Emma Stone. Adapted from the Alistair Gray novel, Poor Things centers on Bella Baxter, a young woman in Victorian-era London who is brought back to life when a scientist, played by Willem Dafoe, implants a baby's brain in her body. Curious, childlike, and not understanding the mores of society, Bella goes on a journey of self-discovery that includes running off with unscrupulous lawyer Duncan Wedderburn, played by Mark Ruffalo, encountering poverty for the first time and working in a brothel. McNamara, who began his career in theater and created the acclaimed and recently canceled Hulu series The Great, spoke to Janelle Riley about his collaboration with Lanthimos, what we would have expected from a fourth season of The Great, and how he came up with that infamous line about punching a baby. She began by asking him about the Oscar luncheon. It was good. I love the Oscar luncheon. It was, um, well, it's very, everyone's mixed. You can't sit with your own uh, family from your movie. So it's a, the tables are really kind of an interesting group of people. So who were you with? Uh, I think who was on our table. Emily Blunt. Not bad. And Rita Wilson and Donna Langley. And... Um, this guy, when I got on the table, because you're all sort of introducing yourself, um, this guy goes, Gustavo, hi, I'm Gustavo. And I said, hi, what film are you with? And he said, Society of Snow. And I said, what did you do? And he said, I was on the plane. Yes. <laughs> they have the actual survivors in I town. I know. He was so great. He was so excited, kind of coming up, meeting everybody. It was great. So I was like, well, you survived. What do you even say? I don't Well, I said, how did you survive? He, he said, you just never complain. Oof. It's like nice. I just rewatched that movie recently, and it's 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 so beautiful but brutal. And yeah, I, I you know I I had the opportunity to I, I thought I might meet the actual survivors, and I was like I I really don't think I know know what to say. Yeah, like oh, well. he was loving life, so it was oh, cool. that's so great. Yeah. What about did you meet the dog from Anatomy of a Fall? <laughs> he was the big star. I saw no, but he really the, the dog stole the show. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. Everyone was talking about the dog. You know, they say never work with children or animals, but you have both in Poor Things. We do. Well, I'm not sure the animals are sort of a mix of – they're basically CGI. We didn't invent uh, chicken dogs and have them for real. I actually wasn't sure if they were practical or CGI. Uh, I think there was a uh, there was sort of some practical in the set, and then they were rebuilt in CGI. 
Is there – I've heard sort of rumors that, that there's like maybe a spinoff about some of these animals. <laughs> Will we be seeing them again? Or? I know. It's a great idea. Right. Like. The, the kids' movie, the kids' version yeah. of Poor Things. The sequel, Poorer Things, yes. I guess would be it. Um, so whenever I have anyone as accomplished as you are, I actually love to go back to the beginning, especially for writers. Um, how did you become a writer? Was it something you always knew you wanted to do? And, and specifically, did you think theater, movies – Books? Um, I'm not sure when I, I – I didn't as a kid. I grew up in a uh, small country town in Australia and the idea of that was kind of like sort of beyond my comprehension. It was not that kind of town. I was racing and I was dairy and not that, you know. And so I think there was a kind of like, you know, if someone said I'm going to theatre, it was to get a knee operation. <laughs> so it was kind of like um, – so I didn't think. I read books all the time because, you know, I was lying in a paddock looking at minding the cows, trying to like not let them get out or something for six hours. Uh, so I did love writing and I did love books, but I was a very terrible at English and I was always failing English. And um, so I think I got into my 20s and I was working – I was doing an economics degree and I was working in London in finance uh, and I started seeing plays every weekend in London and that's – and then something in that, something in watching plays made me think, oh, I want to do that for no logical or <laughs> rational reason. And then I just decided I was going to do it and it wow. seemed completely delusional. Um, but I was just like, I think that's what I want to do, so I'm going to try. And uh, and then I tried to write novels for a while and I was really, really bad at it. <laughs> and, um, in fact, there's a in Australia I did this one-year course and I think it's called the Certificate of Professional Writing and I'm the only person to ever fail it because my novel was so bad they refused to pass me because I can't. Wow. I can't. <laughs> so, uh, but I did discover this love of playwriting and then I became a playwright and when I was 25 I had a uh, play on in Sydney and then I just sort of had nine plays in a row on and uh, it was really just my my thing. I just kind of knew how to do it. Do you think and and be aware that I'm embarrassed to even say this, but but I'm <laughs> I'm a playwright as well. But yeah, sure. Out here in Los Angeles, but like I do rom coms and right. silly yeah, things. Yeah, 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 I don't yeah. I don't by any means mean to compare yeah, yeah. what we do. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, but I'm curious. Do you think it had anything to do with you know you had a real ear for dialogue? But because I could never write a novel. Like I think that description would be hard. Yeah, I think it's. I think it was to do with that, but I think it's actually, uh, it's it, it, it's some kind of brain thing. It's to do with I can't, I don't know how to understand grammar or prose, and I've had a lot of classes to try and solve the problem. So now we're just like the the guys got neurological problems, <laughs> but I'm but I can do dialogue, and that's my thing, and I can my scripts have a lot of dialogue and not a lot of description. Partly because I don't, I feel like you should get everything out of the scene from what what the brief description of what the action and so I certainly don't override description, but uh, yeah, but I love dialogue. It's one of my great loves. Yeah, that's what I do too. Because I say um, I want the director to be able to interpret this. Well, I don't say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you, oddly, I'm usually the director, so I'm, I'm also lying. Um, what do you love about the medium of live theater? I think I loved the. Uh, I think I love two things. I love the camaraderie of the ensemble of just like you know half a dozen people in a room on boards trying to make a thing, and uh, and I loved that it. it made me I got. I really understood acting and uh, actors, and I really loved what they did and. 
I really love their courage and um, bravery to go do that all the time. So it taught me a love of acting and um, and I think the audience just taught me how to understand drama and particularly understand comedy. Like I would, I read this David Mamet thing and he was like, you have to go to your play all the time. And, uh, and, and I understood it cause I used to go all the time and it's, it's actually painful <laughs> because things don't work sometimes and you have to sit there over every night and see it not work or, and try and work out why it's not working. And you really start to understand rhythm and pace and, you know, um, yeah, I don't know. So I, I felt like theater really taught me about audience and and relationship between audience and the material. Something I love but also fear about theater is you know so many things can go wrong and you don't you don't get a mm-hmm. second take. It's live in the moment. Yeah. Um, what's the worst thing? Maybe not worse. I'll just say what's the what's the most um, entertaining thing that's gone wrong in one of your shows? <laughs> oh my god, so many things have gone wrong in my shows. <laughs> I had I had one night where. It was an opening night and the, the one of the actresses had to come down in the lift in the opening scene and she was she was imaginary but you didn't know that at that point and the lift got stuck and and I and my director and I were sitting at the back and we're like just don't start just because we just started and then the actor started doing the whole first scene and you couldn't see her <laughs> and for the whole scene it was ridiculous but a lot of, you know it's that that's what theater is you know yeah. one opening night one of the actors just swept this table of glasses and broke glass all over the stage, which really affected their blocking because they spent the whole act (laughs) trying to walk around all this glass that was everywhere. And we were like, why should we? And you never know. You've got to keep going. So, yeah, but, you know, Cyril. It's so hard because you you can't do anything. No, you sit, you stand there like, yeah, fool. At least if you're on the stage, if you're the actor, you feel like you can do something. Yeah, 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 it's true. It's true. Uh, when was the last time you you did something for theater? Oh, it's, it's probably like ten, oh, it would have been. I'm trying to think. I date everything off my children's ages. Uh, I think it was probably ten years ago. Oh, I didn't realize it had been that long. Yeah, I kind of. Um, yeah, I I was just got into TV and film, yeah. and then I I uh, I abandoned my oh theater abandoned me, or I abandoned it. I'm not really sure what happened. Do you miss it or just not really? No, I think I was just sort of that was the time. I did like a play every year for a long for a bunch of ten years or something, Um, and and so so some you know and I was lucky. I had a lot of success in it. So I think I just got to the point where I wanted to a different medium, and then TV came, and after that, film came, and that really kind of energized me as a writer. And you were like, I like this money thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, of course. Uh, oh well, weirdly in Australia, you can make a good living as a playwright. That. Yeah, I you have can. heard that. Yeah, yeah, you, it was at the time I did it. It was really, you know, if you kind of worked it out, you could, uh, you know, a good run would keep you for a couple of years. So yeah. Uh, so, but he, he, now you get to go to Oscar luncheons. I know. I mean, who can compete with that? Well, nothing exactly. <laughs> uh, so, with Poor Things, um, this is an adaptation of an yeah. Alistair Gray novel. I know you've done adaptations of your own work before. Yeah. Have you ever adapted someone else's work? No, no. It was the first book I've ever adapted. So it was uh, a challenge. Yeah, it was a kind of <laughs> – I remember getting it and reading it and it was a wild book. And uh, But also I was like, I, do, I don't know that this should be the first one you adapt. 
the brain in the woman's head. But um, but it was such a great challenge and it was such a I, – I could see what we could do with it and I love Yorgos and what he does. So it was kind of like up for the challenge of how to make it work. And this was quite some time ago, right? Yeah, I think it was before it was before we shot Favourite. So I guess that was like 2016, I reckon, 2017, I think, maybe a bit earlier even. Um, yeah, it was the probably in the year before we were shooting Favourite. We'd kind of got Favourite to the point where it was more or less ready to go and we were kind of, Yorgos was waiting for Emma and all the actors' times to come together so he could shoot and we started on it then. And when you did he give you any warning about what the book was about or just handed it no. to you? Okay, so what's your reaction as you're thumbing through it? Well, I was like, I met, I, it was just so unexpected. But, um, yeah, I kind of loved it and I was like trying to see where the movie was because he doesn't. He just said, here's this – he kind of just slid it across to me at lunch and he's like, see if you want to do this. Uh, I read it and then – and, you know, we have a similar sensibility, so my response to it was very strongly about Bella because the book's about a lot of things, not just Bella right. and her, her. It's a lot about Scottish nationalism and and the men tell her story and they tell other stories. And uh, But, we, you know, I think we both immediately went, if we could tell Bella's story from inside Bella's experience, which, is, which sort of isn't in the book. So it was good because it sort of let me invent a lot as well as giving us a premise and some kind of stuff we could hang on to. Now, I haven't read the book because, well, it's been busy, but March 11th, I will start the book. How <laughs> about that? Um, but I know someone who has, and they mm-hmm. said that it is a perfect example of what a great adaptation should be, well, and nice. that it preserves the spirit and honors the book, mm-hmm. but it really is its own thing to work in its own medium. Yeah, I think that was the thing for me. It was like I, um, I didn't I certainly felt we couldn't be slavish to the book and I had no sort of intention of being, you know, this is like we're trying to make a piece of cinema and I knew it had a, it would have a relationship to the book but it, it had to have its own sensibility. I think it was always like, um, you know, whenever I do something with Yorgos and this, we're, we've just done a third thing, but it's always like here's the material but it's sort of like but like us. You know, it's got to feel like us. Um, so it was always like my sensibility is quite strong and obviously his is very, you know, genius strong. So it was always like how do we translate it into a movie that we just want to see and I wasn't really wedded to anything. It wasn't um, – I loved the book but it, I hadn't had it for years where I'd, it was a precious thing to me. I was just really admired it and I admired some of the ideas in it and the premise and so it was all about the freedom to kind of us create a piece of cinema. Because it is, you know, so much of your creation as well. Um, did you find the adaptation process surprisingly different or, you know, did you really sort of read the book and then put it aside? We put it, yeah, I put it aside for a couple of years. Um, I think we read, we, we can't, we actually reread it maybe six months before we started shooting. But before that, I kind of read it once or twice and then I kind of devout, we kind of had our let's make it about Bala. I knew I wanted to make it also a satire about control within that. And then uh, then it was like go on my own journey to make it my own because I think when you adapt anything, you've got to own it. You know, I have to own it before. I know ultimately it's, all, it's your gosses, but I'm also like I have to own it and, and not just serve people. I have to kind of as an artist go, this is an expression of what I want it to be. Um, 
so yeah, and then eventually we, we kind of went back to it and we did colour a couple of little things out of it that were good. When you say that you kind of give it your flavour, I, sorry, yeah. I keep, uh, have you seen Barton Fink? Yeah. I keep imagining, yeah, you know, give, give it that button. I give it the button. <laughs> yeah. feel, totally. Give it the Yorgos Tony huh. um, feel. But, but to a certain degree, I mean, I think that is what they bring in for you. And, um, I'm such a fan of Yorgos. Uh, and it's interesting because I always thought of his movies as kind of the ultimate game of would you rather. Like killing of a sacred deer is like, do you want to kill yeah. your kid or do you want to kill your yeah, wife? Yeah, that's know? true, right? But um, the favorite, it has a slightly different feel to it that I, I think might be your influence. Um, and then and the poor things, the poor things. Oh, my God, I sound like my mother. <laughs> have you seen the poor things? Have you seen the poor things? Let's put it on the Facebook. By yeah. the way, you have two phones. Uh, I do because I'm, I'm, I sort of – I live in London most of the time, oh. but I also am Australian, <laughs> so I have a phone that is Australian because it has – it's complicated. It's got they're bo- And they're both on? Yeah, right they're both now? on all okay. the time, and I have a child in Australia who rings me on this one, and my mum – you know, so it's a bit like – this is my Australian life, and this sure. is my English life, and for some reason I'm so technologically hopeless I can't actually merge them into one phone. You need a third one for America. Yeah, <laughs> Um, so sort of back to what I was saying, yeah. um, you know, you the, you and Yorgos work so well together and you have a distinct style that I feel is sort of shared. Um, when did, how did you originally meet and, and know that that collaboration was going to work? Um, we met, he was, he'd found the material for The Favourite uh, and he was looking for a writer and he'd just moved to London and he was reading a lot of stuff and... Um, he just he read a couple of things I'd written and decided you know the great and a movie I'd written decided he liked them and he was he's very particular so he didn't like much but he liked it and then my agent rang me and went there's this Greek director uh, he's on you know he's made two Greek films Alps and uh, Dogtooth uh, do you know want work you know he wants to talk to you you should watch his movies so I went and watched the movies and I was like I, I mean I loved them I thought it was amazing. Um, and then we just, we, I read the material and then he got on, we got on this Zoom, which he always talks about. He's like, we had this Zoom and the producers were like, let's put them together and see if it works. And he went into the office in London and we had this Zoom and he walked out and the producers looked at the time code and it had been 12 minutes. <laughs> and they went, oh my God, did it go badly? And he said, no, we've got it. And, wow! And we went. Well, we did. We did instantly go. I went. I, yeah. You know, we were like, it should be like this, and it should be. Like, and we just sort of understood each other um, in a in a way without. You know, he's he's. You know, it's often like we don't use a lot of language sometimes. Yeah, we really just know how the other thinks, and our sensibility is kind of different. Like, but eighty percent similar, and a little bit. You know. I, we have differences and differences of approach and differences of taste and, you know, we're slightly different about how we view the world but there's enough sensibility about how you tell stories, the sort of fearlessness both of us want to approach our work with um, and our sense of humour is very similar yeah. above all, you know, and we're sort of unsentimental but uh, I always like things that are emotional as well as 
very funny, you know. So he hadn't done the lobster at that point. No, he oh, hadn't okay. done the lobster. When you saw that, were you like, "Oh my god, I'm in bed with a madman"? <laughs> <laughs> the lobster? No, I loved it. I love. No, I love the lobster, yeah, yeah. but like, no, it's not really. Bonkers. I mean, dog tooth. You know what you're in for. That's true. So uh, no, I saw dog tooth, and I was because they said there's not a lot of yeah. money, and I was like, I saw dog tooth. I'm like, I'll do it for free. Yeah, yeah. He's. I could just tell he. He just had uh, bravery and he's a great director. You know, he just knows everything about filmmaking. He's kind of, you know, he's cool. So I think this is your third film with Emma Stone because you yeah. also worked on Cruella. Yeah. Did she bring you into Cruella? Yeah, I think her and Craig Gillespie, who I'd worked with before. Um, but I think between them they decided to bring me in. Was that to give it that Tony McNamara <laughs> feeling? <laughs> I think no, I think it was just like they thought they wanted to make a different kind of Disney, big Disney sort of franchise movie and I think they were uh, trying to do something different than what would be expected. Um, and then, you know, Craig and I really had done a script together before and we had really, really got on and, um, you know, had a real similar kind of sensibility about how we like things and very different person but... Uh, and, you know, I knew Emma's tone, you know, I know her tone and sensibility and what she likes because it's sort of similar. So, yeah, they just brought me in and it was, I mean, it's like your friends bringing, going, come and do a great job with this. I'm like, sure. Are you responsible? Are you the man responsible for the dogs killing the mother in that movie? <laughs> I need to know who I, to blame. Yeah, I don't know. Probably, probably Craig. <laughs> Uh, so Bella Baxter, and you, when you say her name, you have to say the full name, yeah, I feel. Um, she is such a complex, fun character. And I know that, you know, Emma's been very open about saying it's her favorite character, yeah. pretty much. And that playing a role like that is so freeing for actors. Is it freeing for you to write it? Yeah, because I think it's 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 just – well, she was a great character to write because one of the attractions was you don't write characters that – I mean, I guess twofold. It's like the fingerprints of childhood and society weren't on her as a character. And often you're writing off a character's trauma in a way. And so it was like, oh, there's none. So what am I writing? I'm writing someone who just greets experience in a really open, adventurous, optimistic, I wonder what it is. And I don't have any preconceptions about how I should feel about it, how I should judge it, anything. I'm just in a constant state of self-creation. Uh, so that was, you know, that was a kind of, in the same way I know M feels that, it, it was, there's something about it, writing it or acting it for her, which is like, oh, we, we could both, I think we both learnt from it, a bit like how to live your life in some ways. I mean, she's such a blank slate, especially yeah. at the beginning. Yeah. Um, and I always wonder, for this might be more for actors, like they really take that home with them. They find themselves really saying what they think to people. <laughs> Do you find, does it change your personality? Uh, not really, probably not as much as it should. <laughs> I probably should have learnt more, but, you know. Oh, I maybe I should ask the people around you. Yeah, maybe. What, I, <laughs> I don't think so, but it did make me uh, – I mean, that was the idea behind it and it was a kind of, there is a kind of wish fulfilment in the movie of, oh, I wonder what – you know, I think people like that about the movie. Yeah. It's like what would my experience be if I could let go of all this stuff we carry around? Who doesn't want to punch a baby <laughs> from time well, to time? Yes, I blame my son for that. Oh, Really? <laughs> Well, yeah, because when I had a three-year-old at the time and he – and I remember we did a draft and I came in and we were talking about it and I said, you know what, I think I think Bella's too nice in the young phase because, I, like, the the boy – I had two boys. I'm like, they're, like, 
narcissistic sociopath sort of So it was like not to blame them. They're very sweet children. But – and I was telling him how my one of my sons, Wilco, was – in a restaurant and he was like, this baby was screaming and he was like, someone punched that baby. And I told him that story and he's like, yes, yes, we need, we need some Wilkie. So, so that line went in much wow. to, much to Wilco's delight. Does he get a, does he want a credit now? Uh, I don't percentage? know. He was just happy because my other son's called Art and there was Art, Artie and Cruella. Um, oh, which, named which, after him. Which pre, no, it pre-dated. No? Okay. No, it was already there. But he, uh, so I think they now feel like it's even now. But yeah, um, I look at a character like Bella Baxter, and I think you couldn't write a character like that if you didn't have amazing women in your life. Yeah, probably true. Yeah, who are some of the the women that I don't want to necessarily say inspired her, but inspire you? Yeah, no, I think it's that. I guess observing, like, yes, I have an amazing wife, and I have a twenty three year old daughter, um, and my uh, best friend and best writer friend but also best friend is a a woman so I guess it's like living with their experiences and observing their experiences and hearing what they go through and kind of like also kind of understanding the 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 sort of you know you look for large you look for characters with large obstacles and big systemic obstacles in a in any drama and I feel like you know for women they're they're there you know and so it's sort of like you, it, it makes big characters because you got to get over some big things, you know, that people throw in your way. Well, I feel like you also kind of hit on all the male archetypes that yeah. that every woman has ever met. We all have a Godwin. We all have yeah. um, a Duncan yeah, to some degree. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I guess that's true as well. Yeah, I, you hear a lot of stories from your, right. your friends about the Duncan character. Who's, yeah. In, in their lives, you know. And I don't mean to laugh because Duncan is terrible, but he's very yeah. charmingly played by Mark Ruffalo, so it's hard not to. Yeah, I mean, he's an, he's an, he's sort of, uh, yeah, he's an idiot. But, um, <laughs> but at the same time, it was really, you know, the male types that I chose to yeah. kind of, in the, sat- the satire part of the movie, I guess, it was important to me to, like, represent that they're also, like, sort of cl- – they're acting sometimes out. What I thought was interesting about it was – they're sometimes not malicious, no. but they don't know. Their sort of action is sort of mindlessly malicious without, and they think they're acting out of love. Yes. And so I found that really interesting, and I, I think that was one of the things that made me want to write it. I was like, what is this sort of male, but also other characters in the movie, this inherent human desire to control each other, mm-hmm. which is which I find and have always found. <laughs> I was like, why is everyone trying to tell me what to think and do and control what I feel about stuff? I don't get it. But, you know, extrapolate it out in yeah. terms of women's bodies, in terms of all that kind of uh, decisions and stuff. So, yeah, and it was like if we give us such agency and these men don't in their society are like, why Why is she? Why has she got this entitled agency and not get it and it completely blows someone like Duncan's mind seem kind of funny. I will say that I think most of them, like, if you ask them, they would say they're acting out of love and they have good intentions, with the exception of Christopher Abbott's character. Yeah, no. Just awful. Yeah, yeah, true. (laughs) Alfie, yeah, Alfie was always going to be the worst character. Yes, yes. And by the way, Rami Youssef should send you flowers because you just made him out to be the ideal. (laughs) (laughs) What does he say? Weakness is a a virtue. That's what he told me. Yeah, he's he's fantastic. Um, 
Because you do have so many amazing actors, how do you feel about improvisation or, you know, just what, what they can bring to a character? Oh, uh, well, it's a, I think it's like within our, you know, Yorgos has a very uh, particular process of how everything develops in the process of rehearsal. And um, so there's no real improv, you know, there might be a few lines moving around, but I think the the, and I, I, you know, and I'm a bit like on the grade. I was like that. It's, it's very, my writing's very rhythmic and very tight. And, um, and I, I kind of like feel like I, I try to give a groundwork where there's enough freedom for actors to, you know, it's more like something they can jump off than something they have to rearrange, you know. So it's more like give them a really good place to kind of work from and great stuff to work from. And that's my kind of goal. And then, I think for Yorgos, it's like we've worked on the script for years. You know, we we worked on it for, you know, on and off, not all the time. But, for, you know, we're t- we worked for three or four years and we're incredibly, towards the end, we're incredibly meticulous. And then in rehearsal, if words come up or lines come up, they, they you know, that's when we kind of attend to them. And then when, we're on, when they're on the floor, he just wants it to be free-flowing and the actors all have their lines completely in their bodies and down because they've been in this rehearsal process for three weeks, which is an untraditional rehearsal. But so I, they don't really want it because they're so in the languages in them. Mm-hmm. Um, so there isn't that kind of um, need or something. It's a, it's an interesting experience because, he, you know, it's a creation of an ensemble so we all feel everyone's doing their jobs and it's about everyone kind of connecting their their job to each other and and each job letting the other person do something great you know uh because you mentioned the grade if it's not too painful since we're not getting another <laughs> season of it it's not painful at all can, can you tell me everything that was going to happen <laughs> in the next season uh, well i can tell you a couple of things i think Archie, i know how history ends sure but i would love well, to hear your I guess version she's going to run the country by herself and <laughs> she, she would have a lot of lovers and that would cause a lot of concern and a way to play her and then Archie would be mad in the forest becoming a kind of a terrorist and Aunt Elizabeth was going to semi-retire but not really and uh yeah there was a bunch of stuff we thought we would do um but yeah I mean it was we had had the best three years I can't be I can't be anything but grateful about it because they they were the most wonderful group of people and uh so yeah, it's that thing. I mean, I got we got to do something great that we had a great time doing. Mm-hmm. So I don't really feel like oh how you know. I just feel like wow, we really got to. Even when it ended, I think yeah. Belinda, my wife, who's in the show, plays Aunt Elizabeth. I think we were just like it was sad a bit later, but in the moment we were just like I can't believe we got to do that. Mm-hmm. And you did get to tell like each season was a self contained yeah, story. And I, so. Yeah, and I think and then in the beginning it was just going to be two seasons. Oh, so, really? So we were kind of like I think we all yeah. fell in love and kind of loved it, and the network loved it, and we kind of went oh well let's keep going. You yeah, know? you're you know obviously onto other things, but can I be angry? Just, okay. Oh yeah, I get people being <laughs> angry and. I, you know, and it wasn't like uh, we weren't sad because we wanted to be together and uh, do it again. But I think I'm more a what's next person yeah. than anything. Well, that leads me to my final question. <laughs> what's next? What can you tell us? Uh, what's next? Well, I think uh, what is next? I've got a comedy that coming out. I'm uh, not coming out that I'm working on. And Yorgos and I have a, I've got a script that I've written for him that, the Hawkline Monster, which was a Richard Brodigan. Wait, what's this? It's called The Hawkline Monster. Richard Brodigan wrote the book in the 70s. It's very sort of 
like a psychedelic kind of Western thing, but, um, but yeah, and, and a TV thing that uh, with Nick and I've got a few things I'm working. Uh, wait, with Nick Holt? Yeah. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. Boy, um, actors really keep coming back to you. That's got to be so flattering. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's great. I mean, I love that. Like I said, I think, I think that one of the things theatre really gave me was a, a love of actors and mm-hmm. a, and a admiration for them. Yeah, you've I, I admire them so much because I literally couldn't do what they did. What yeah, they do. yeah, and it's a tough life. Yeah, you know, it's a tough way to make a living. Um, at this point, I mean, you're obviously so established in your career, but you're going to the Academy Awards uh, March 10th. Um, is there anyone that you're still starstruck by, or that you're hoping to meet, or you'd like to see? Or <laughs> I don't. I mean, I'm star. Yeah, all the time. Yeah, I'm starstruck. Yeah, I remember seeing. Jeff Bridges at the Globes when the favor we just it was almost like that's enough for me yeah. I can go home for the rest of my life I love Jeff Bridges and he made this amazing speech so there's people like that Harrison Ford you know you meet you see people and it's not even you want to meet them because you just knowing me I'll just say something dumb and awkward <laughs> so it, it's it's just like a joy to be part of you go oh, I'm in the room with these people who are amazing talents and who you've admired and they've inspired you and you're kind of like, like meeting Eric Roth or, you know, someone like that for me as a writer is very exciting, you know. That's Oscar-nominated Poor Things screenwriter Tony McNamara. And that's it for this edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Zach Levin edited this episode and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe to the Award Circuit Podcast and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, head on over to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest awards predictions and key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. For Jazz Tanke, Janelle Riley, and Clayton Davis, I'm Michael Schneider, and we'll see you on the circuit. For your consideration, Max presenting the HBO original Barry, starring Bill Hader in the explosive and hilarious final chapter of a man trying to untangle himself from the world of contract killing and immerse himself in acting. Nominated for three SAG awards, including outstanding performance by an ensemble in a comedy series. Barry is now streaming on Max.